The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Welcome to The Echo Chamber. This is Arun Sivarman and I'm joined today by Executive Creative Director at RGA, Calvin So, who's based in Singapore. Calvin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Arun. It's a pleasure. I've been trying to get you on for a while, and uh, I'm glad you could do it. I wanted to talk to you, first of all, about your career, which I think is more interesting than most in the advertising industry. Um, because you, of course, you're, you're, one of, um, you're one of Asia's top creatives, obviously. You were, you were Chief Creative Officer at Publicis Asia. Before that, you worked at Fallon um, in the US and in, in Singapore, where, if I'm not mistaken, you founded Fallon Asia. Is that right? Yeah, we set up Singapore, Hong Kong, and Tokyo. Okay, so then, but then in 2012, I think, at the kind of, you know, what looked like the height of your career, um, you decide to step down from publicists and then you, you, you sort of take a, I don't know how you describe it, you, you move out of the ad industry to an extent and, and start doing various entrepreneurial ideas, you spend a lot more time with your family. Talk us through that decision uh, and what it meant. I think um, if, if I, I, I think I was, fortu I was fortunate to have a great career, I mean, I started off in Ogilvy. I was David Droger's first hire here in Singapore during the glory days of Saatchi's. Mm. Uh, I went to work in uh, New York as the first Singaporean uh, associate creative director. Mm -hmm. I came back to fell in Asia as the youngest president, well, Asian at least. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I think I was like, the only Asian kind of well, Singaporean vice chairman of a um, regional network like publicists throughout Asia. Yeah, and so you were. It's, it's it's an experiment they don't want to repeat again. I think so. I think they. <laughs> yeah, that's the last time. <laughs> uh, I think you know when you spend twenty years in the the industry, I they, they reached a stage where I thought um, the kids were young mm. and. And I thought, okay, you know, the trajectory of most careers is you keep uh, continue working. And then when you retire, you have enough money where you can then spend time with the family all you want. That's the traditional notion of it. Mm. Um, but I've seen in the industry around 2007, 2008, when I uh, did publicist with Matthew Godfrey. We were trying to put a positioning in place for publicists called uh, Contagious Ideas. Part of that was the seed, the germination of this thought that things were happening at exponential speed. Mm. Because in 2007, 2008, we were doing Nokia. And Nokia, by all accounts, was market leader, 40% uh, market share. Then by 2011, it was sold for, you know, from 100 billion to 10 billion. So, that was the germ of, of it. We did this wall throughout all the public publicist offices talking about how fast things were changing, how Obama got elected from, from nowhere to somewhere, all the tools and the 
technology that is harnessing to empower things and, and, and the rate of growth of the internet, of YouTube, etc. You know, mm. how YouTube was for $2 billion, you know, within a year and a half of its setup, which by now YouTube for $2 billion, that's the bargain. That's one of the cheapest buys Google has ever, uh, most profitable buys that Google, ha- Google has ever made. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about the exponential change and you apply it into your own personal life, what came to mind was this. It wasn't a midlife crisis. Most people have a midlife crisis like, oh, when I die, would I have spent enough time with the kids? Mm. That's legitimate. But when you expand on exponential change, then you think about it in 30 years' time, where would medical technology be? Mm-hmm. And medical technology will advance to, you, you can make some predictions and go, they would extend my life to 100, to my kids, definitely 120, 150, right? Uh-huh. Then I don't want to reach the stage where you're 65 and you look back, I, damn, it's time to retire. And they tell you, congrats, you live to 110. Then you're only two thirds to halfway through your life. Yeah, and your kids are already grown up by that point. Yeah, and you go like, hey, let's hang out, kids. And the kids will go like, who are you? I have no idea. <laughs> so I thought it was the germ of the idea in 2012. I go, look, let's, let's take that break and then let's see where it goes. Um, so along the way, we built a, uh, my, my CV for those five years. It was supposed to be one year, but it, I keep adding on the years. Mm. Um, my CV became what my children achieved. Mm-hmm. So at 12, if you think about it, my son has had given two TEDx talks. So in the context of where exponential change is happening, I saw the university, university degree and the current education system as being less important, less, less about doing what machines can do, but more about teaching them what machines can't do. So he could stand as the opening speaker at TEDx and speak to 2,000 people without fear at 12. That's an enormous skill set. Wow. He's uh, written a book and published a book with me and talked about it during the, the um, uh, TEDx talk. He's done a successful Kickstarter with me at 14 on an urban planting kit. So he then he learns how to prototype, collaborate, figure out manufacturing costs, go to a platform like Kickstarter to validate the idea. He came to me, the learning he came to me was Kickstarter isn't a crowdfunding platform. It's an idea validation platform. If they validate the idea, you'll get the funding. Mm. So he learns all these things before he was 14, right? Mm. Where he understands that you can go to market with with very little but an idea and the initial investment is quite low. So I want them to grow in this world thinking that the opportunity to invent and to create is democratized and it's within their power to do so. Rather than to grow up and find a job in a particular profession or career that ultimately will be disrupted by AI. Uh-huh. Okay? Uh-huh. So I, I think that drove that process and then we obviously built a house. Uh, we named it One Kind House. It's completely uh, sustainable. We grow our own vegetables, soil, and hydroponic. Um, uh, we recycle the compost, so that's old and new. Uh, we have an Airbnb experience cooking class where my mom at 75 is the 
most popular now in Singapore. She's got the highest ratings. Not most popular. She's got the highest ratings. Mm. Um, uh, she's got a new career. So she's got dignity, there's purpose. So the house becomes a prototype for active elder aging. She eats healthy. She mingles around with young people. Uh, and we're now doing content for the house where I, you know, we're asking her to do short cooking programs, uh, shows, uh, where you only use three ingredients to cook really tasty uh, Asian food. So for the busy parent who's busy working, who feels guilty not being able to cook for the kids, here are three, here are three ingredient dishes that you can put together quite simply that's mm -hmm. tasty and so she's also constantly being challenged to, to kind of think and, and, and move on in that mindset. And, and the house then becomes an innovation lab for the family. Hmm. Okay. Um, okay. Yep. And so um, you, you, you focus on these things for five years? Yeah, I did five years. I did... Uh, I gave a talk on Bitcoin uh, Berlin somewhere in 2014. I gave a talk in South by Southwest in 2013. I, um, I, we created a, 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 a crypto group way back in 2014 with some in, who are now influential people in the crypto world. We created a branding company to brand digital currencies. Mm -hmm. We put proposals to Citibank where we said, look, your bikes in New York generate, generate 1 million miles uh, a month. Can we now um, turn that into tokens and then use that to trade for things? Mm. You know, so the miles you write, the more tokens you accumulate, the more tokens can be used to redeem whatever, Starbucks, coffee, etc., etc. Mm. And in 2014, we proposed these things. So you learn and you push at the forefront, which I think, if I was still working, I wouldn't have the, had the opportunity to, mm. you know. So I'm hedging my bets that I'll lift to 120 because of medical technology. I'm yeah. hedging my bets that getting a university degree for my kids by the time I'm 25 and then getting a career for the rest of their life will no longer apply. They will have to have six to seven different careers throughout their lifetimes because it will continually be disrupted. So therefore, the value sets and skill sets will be, they will have to be constantly cur curious and self-learning. Mm. They have to be incredibly adaptable. They have to have hustle, constantly looking for what is new, what's the next thing. Uh, and they have to have resilience. Um, so all these things you would question whether, and obviously creativity and imagination, all these things you question whether the industrial age education system will provide. And, and then you move back to an ad agency um, when you move back to RGA, which is last year, correct? Yes. So what was your thinking there? After doing all of these things and, you know, you're, you're sort of building things, you're being very entrepreneurial, you're focusing on uh, creativity in terms of um, almost like a lifestyle and, and a way of, 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 of teaching and living rather than a product. Um, did it feel weird moving back into the ad industry? I, I think uh, going back to work always feels weird. Mm. Having to dress up to go to work always feels weird. I don't know about you, but... Do you, I mean, you, do you dress up? Is this... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Compared to where I was five years ago, I was all, I, I was in my shorts and t-shirt. Ah, uh, okay. Say no more. Yeah. So just putting on jeans is mm. dressing up. And yeah. Shoes is yes. Yeah. I think it's a um, um, misconception that RJ is purely a advertising agency because mm. I I join RJ from a very deliberate kind of uh, point of view, which is it's the agency that uh, ten years ago also created the Nike Plus ecosystem. So mm. they built the chip connected to the app connected to the phone to your watch. Yes. And yes. Community yeah. platform. Okay. So I wanted to join a tech-driven company that builds both the system as well as the stories. Mm. And it's not just pure creativity. So the five years that I spent away was applicable to this because we've since become more of a sort of a consultancy that makes. So we currently consult with a shopping mall and supermarkets, for example, on redesigning the experience within, without the service experience, the service product offerings um, uh -huh. that are there. If I, if I didn't spend my own money redesigning uh, 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 and retrofitting and working with architects to, to rebuild a house to incorporate uh, urban farming built into the very core, as well as the innovation lab built into the core of the house, um, I wouldn't have understood what experience design is about. Mm. Okay, so it's very practical creating a um, working of experience pillars, getting someone to feel something and incept into their minds a feeling about a place before they 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 fully experience or they come into an experience, and then it makes them understand your concept a lot better. So it's it's beyond just my traditional training of doing a a piece of comms that is something that is, you see and touch through traditional media now. Mm. But the industry in general, you would say, is probably still more focused on the comms than on, these, than on the actual building of the infrastructure and the systems. I think the, the industry, and that's why it's shrinking, right? And that's mm. why we ourselves are being disrupted. So if you apply this thinking of exponential change, you know, it's, it's transforming businesses. It is disrupting businesses, however you want to look at it. And in those cases where business models are, trans, uh, are disrupted, for example, uh, let's say a shopping mall is empty now, right? And, oh. Or losing mall. If comms is your only solution, imagine if you're the business owner and I come to you and I say, hey, your business is dropping. Let me redesign the logo for you. And you're like, that's the least of my concern. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's have a new tagline. Yeah, let's have a new tagline. Let me do a new campaign to drive people into your shopping mall. Mm. And you'll be going like, sure, they'll come in, they'll see how shit it is, mm. and my business will close faster. So fundamentally, what I have to do is address a business problem, which is if shopping is no longer the attraction, what is? And then I have to start working with the shopping mall owner to reframe their business to understand what is what new business models could we drive in there that and, and what new revenue streams they could look at. So for example, you would then challenge the shopping mall owner and go, maybe you're not just a shopping mall owner anymore. You are also an experienced operator. So as a result, you'd have to hire 
uh, people who can program experiences in the mall to get people to come in. And then obviously finding a point of view for what your mall stands for and then deciding on your retail mix comes into play. So that's one way of looking at it. Do you look, ask the mall operator and say, how much data do you gather? Maybe the investment should be about gathering data. Uh, and then think of yourself like a website. How do you sell the data onto your tenants? Mm. How can your tenants be more reactive? Can they go, okay, the data is from two to four o'clock, this particular group of uh, shoppers come in. I would then have reactive sales or promotions that will target them. And between eight to uh, seven to nine will be a different group. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So these are different ways of looking at it. It's not about a logo or a campaign tagline. Yeah, sure. Um, and so with that in mind, what, what, what do you make of, of next week's, obviously, massive shindig in the south of France, the, the, the Cannes Lions? I know you have, you have been many times in the past. I don't know if you're going next week, but um, how do you feel about it as, you know, the biggest showcase for the, uh, the kind of the marketing communications world? Um, yeah, I've, I've been there. I've judged there. It's a great show. It's in some ways, it's a lot about ideas. I think, um, the work that is very, very good is very, very good for very, very big clients. Mm. Sometimes what happens is you see work that's very good for, for clients that you go will not buy it or will not have a material impact on the business. Mm. Right. So we, we just have to be careful that the industry itself doesn't, uh, in the pursuit of their ego, marginalizes itself. Mm. I, I don't want to be hypocritical about it. I mean, we've all won awards. I think, um, and all pursue the awards and build our career a little bit on that. But I think if we apply some sort of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> our own methods of thinking, if, if our key class, customer audience are our clients and business owners and they are having problems with their business then we have to come up with uh, uh, solutions to answer them and again it it has to be beyond just idea mm. but do you feel that perhaps the industry is still too geared towards these awards you know as a form of currency in the way that you know it helps creatives obviously it, it, it builds their careers uh, and, and does it perhaps incentivize them the wrong way? Well, it will, exponential change means when the change does come, it will pivot very quickly. Mm. So at one stage, we'll be moving towards these awards and then suddenly in the next two years, three years or less, it'll just be, okay, let's go for effectiveness awards because that's what clients are looking for. Mm -hmm. okay, okay, so we just, you know, I think can't smart enough and big enough and, and they've been pivoting slowly as well. Mm. Um, so they, they haven't stood still. Mm. So that's good. But, but I mean, look, we, we talked about how uh, consultancy companies are buying over comms agencies, right? Right, yeah. Right. You look at Accenture, it's Accenture worth, I think Accenture is worth 90 billion and mm -hmm. WPP's peak was worth 20 billion. Yes. Right? So you can see the difference. So the reason why Accenture is doing well is, is probably clients are coming to them and go, I have a fundamental business problem. Can you help me solve it? Look at my process, look at my supply chain, yada, yada, yada. 
what Accenture doesn't have is the, or the Deloitte don't have, may not have, are the design capabilities and the creative ideas to bring that to life. They will do that and leave it with the client. Client will work with the existing agency to implement it. Mm. So they can do it from the line. They're acquiring, they've acquired uh, Fjord and the monkeys in Australia and Kamarama in Australia. So I think uh, in London, I think mm. if you think of them, they, they could be the next holding company, except they're operating as one. Mm -hmm. entity yeah and they're unlike advertising agencies they don't have to they don't have to create separate brands to handle the same client in fact if you handle clients in the same category seen as expertise well as in our industry if you handle uh, Volkswagen you couldn't handle Toyota because it's competition mm -hmm. okay so for them they can operate as one entity I suppose the danger they become is a like all holding companies, we buy creative shops and if we turn them in, if they turn them into themselves and adopt their own process, then you start losing the essence of these creative shops. Mm. And I mean, there's a lot of um, kind of existential angst around the future of the ad agency model. I mean, do you buy into that? Do you feel that's, that's fair or do you think it's, it's overblown? Um, I think the question is what is advertising going mm. to be in the future? Um, already people, it's moving so quickly, right? Where you, people are hiring what you call verbal designers, people who can design on voice platforms. Mm -hmm. Schools aren't even teaching that yet. And by the time the schools get onto it, we will have moved on to something else, mm. right? So what is advertising in the future? I, I, I think when I stepped out, in one of the questions I asked was, why am I selling? Because advertising is a product that uh, is currently, the way it's currently being sold, people are buying ad blockers not to see your ads. Mm. So you're, you're selling a product where people are willing to pay money not to buy your product. That's one. And it's sold across platforms like Google and Facebook where they're happy to take your ads, but they're happy to sell that, to put the ad blockers on to block the ads. Yeah. Right? And they themselves are creating the ads for you. Right? Mm -hmm. So you're being squeezed in on all sides. Mm. If, if, if that form of advertising seems to be on, on the way, then uh, it doesn't mean that we don't need any more advertising. Of course we do. We, we've humanity has always needed uh, advertising putting on lipstick is advertising mm. you know you're standing out from the crowd it's just that it has to take its form in, in kind of other ways until we kind of find out what the other more dominant ways are it could be a multitude of ways because there's maybe in the future there might not be one dominant media mm. hey. which means creative people need to be very flexible and um, uh, and, and, and the value in us is still about creating stories. That hasn't changed. Mm. It just means what kind of stories, how relevant can they be to our people? And, and can you tell a story, for example, in six seconds in some cases? Mm. So you, you mentioned, um, you know, you're, you're now getting verbal designers and, and you felt that the education system um, maybe doesn't change quickly enough. I'm curious as to your views, 
you know, perhaps regarding Singapore specifically and, and creative education, um, how well do you think the education system is doing in terms of actually developing people so they can think creatively about the kinds of problems that you've described? I think uh, if you're looking <coughs> specifically at the Singapore education system, you, we have to start at the beginning. In 1965, when the country was formed, you have to say, say that Singapore was a startup. It was led by a bunch of uh, <laughs> politicians who were entrepreneurs at heart, uh, yeah. who created lists. They created the Singapore Tourism Board, the Edu uh, Economic Development Board, the Housing Development Board. All those were public, in some ways, policy kind of firsts, or, or certainly firsts here in Asia. And then uh, as the, well, if you think of Singapore as a company, then the company grew and, and became a first world company and did very well. And then in the interim period, then the education system shifted where you needed less of the entrepreneurial thinkers. You, you had to scale up and you needed more of the process workers and the thinkers, uh, no, and the doers. Nothing wrong. Uh, the question now becomes when machines are coming in to automate and take most of the jobs, what do you need? You, you can't have the same type of people because the machines would render them uh, unemployed. Mm. So you need to shift the education system again. And uh, I was quite heartened to hear last week the, or earlier this week, the education minister talked about how it will be a combination of the Singapore system as well as the Swiss education system. So it'll be academic and vocation-based, skills-based, mm. which is important because, okay, as much as you can say the machines are coming in, the plumber and the electrician will still be needed, mm -hmm. right? And, and in, in countries in Asia, sometimes we see these jobs as being uh, uh, menial and we value more of the academic job. But most of, a lot of the academic jobs, if you're not careful, um, like if you're a lawyer, a lot of the menial tasks will be taken over by uh, AI. Mm. So we've, we've got to go back to that making, that doing, and that creating. And are there lessons from elsewhere in this regard? Because I know you've been, um, you've been, is it to Finland? To, um, yes to kind of explore their educational system? So my son had an internship at Angry Birds for three months because he, he mm -hmm. we met the uh, co-founder Peter Verstbacher because he gave, he was the closing speaker at Slush, mm -hmm. the FinTech uh, show. And that was his uh, uh, reward, <laughs> internship. And they kindly arranged us to interview the, the education ministry, the teachers union, the teachers and the schools and all and the students even. So it was interesting, not just for me, but watching it through the eyes of a 14-year-old boy, how different that system is from the Singapore system. Mm. Um, having said that, you can't just transplant systems because they are different countries, right? The, where the context is, is different. I, I would say the fundamental difference is the Singapore education system is premised on the economy. So if they can project 20 years from now, I need X amount of lawyers, they would start shifting the production line that way. So the question now is, can you project 20 years ahead with such accuracy as you did 
in the past with uh, uh, the in the industrial age. And I don't think so with exponential change, you can't. Um, for the Finnish education system, uh, it revolves primarily around the societal values and culture. So they promote empowerment, honesty, uh, trust. These values are quite high up. And you see that in the education system. The teachers all have a master's. The teachers have a sort of a rough national syllabus to follow, but they, they can create their own. They're empowered to create their own on a class-to-class -class basis, depending on their students. Student classes size are kept small to 20. The kids from young are taught to work in groups, collaborate in groups, rather than I'm standing in front and you memorize by rote. Um, you learn, uh, you have tests, but the tests are not for you to be promoted. The tests are for the teachers to determine what level of understanding the class and the students are at. Mm. Uh, they, they, they espouse play as a way of learning. So they make mm -hmm. the whole system fun. It's all about fun, unabashedly fun. Uh, and when the kids go home, there's no homework. The homework mm -hmm. is, if you're 10, they multiply by two. So you get 20 minutes of homework a week. Mm. Those are kids, when they leave, they go back to play. They don't go to tuition centers. Mm. They go back mingle with other kids to learn the social skills that are crucial for them in a world where a lot of the menial tasks will be taken over by machines. It could be a hard sell to us, to us Asian tiger parents. Well, it's hard sell when if you look at uh, India and China, the, the academic systems that we've employed, it's, it's uh, the Chinese have had the uh, imperial examinations for thousands of years. Mm. Right? So you, you, it's hard. It's hard to change that system because they're looking for, parents are looking for validation of how smart our kids are. Uh, the Finnish parents are looking for validation of how uh, how well run they are, what's the, the development of their children according to these values. Mm. If you look at report cards, they're quite different. Our report cards start with uh, your grades, whether you've done well, A, B, C, D, E, and then uh, usual two to three line profile of your child. Arun is a careful child, very well-spoken, could do well in math, and could, should do better if he paid more attention in class, that mm. kind of thing. In the Finnish system, the, the assessment is upfront. It's a lot more detailed. You know, mm. it's very cooperative. He's well spoken. Sometimes he gets, you know, uh, a bit distracted because, of, but he enjoys. So it's all that. And then the, there's no academic scores. It's just like, mm. in terms of math, oh, he's on track. Yeah, you know, my son in his school, they don't put the scores up front, and the scores are like quite different. So they're not like real grades. And I find this quite, you know, I find this weird. <laughs> it makes me nervous. But yeah, I think... because we were brought up on the old system. So you should, you know, never be hard on yourself. Don't, don't, don't feel like, yeah. Because you and I, human beings, report, re, we work on received memory. What mm. we have gone us. So it's very hard to let go. And it's also, you know, we can arguably say that system didn't do badly for us. It worked for us. Mm. So why should we? And a lot of parents are reluctant to change it because they figured out the system then they can gain the system. Mm. The question always is, is this system going to take you to this future? Mm -hmm. And then, then the question to the parent is, what kind of future do you think it is? Is it the same future as you think you, what you had 
and, and what your child will have, would that be the same future? Or in my case, I just think it's a vastly different future. Mm-hmm. And because it's a vastly different future, then in some ways, maybe I've had a little bit of the, a little bit more bravery injected into me to try new things. Mm-hmm. So and finally, what, what's, what would be your advice to, you know, someone, a young person who wants to, to build a career as a creative, but isn't really sure where to go, whether to, to go into, say, the ad industry or, or work for a consultancy or join one of these uh, tech platforms? Um, I think all the young kids who are coming up now, they all are quite creative because they are they have grown up in this social media world mm. they shoot videos mm-hmm. uh, understanding of of editing is a lot better than when I was when I started <laughs> okay yeah. the understanding of what will get eyeballs is a lot better my 12 year so my holiday project with my kids was to design a range of of Trump and Kim Jong-un t-shirts to commemorate their peace talks, right? That was their thing. Yeah. They learned how to design it, put it on Shopify, figure out production and then sell it. And I go, look, the investment is 300 bucks, right? Mm. That's three hours of math tuition, let's say. Mm-hmm. We put that and then they've run a business and see whether it works. If it doesn't work, that's great, but they will learn a lot more than three hours of math tuition. So I helped them write a post. My daughter puts it up on Instagram. She's got like 200 likes. I've got 30. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. she doesn't take my post. She rewrites it. She goes like, I don't talk like this. Mm. You know, and she's 12. Yeah. So they are, they are blessed with that. They are already ahead in so many ways. I think they should focus on the the two things which is the creativity the ability now with so many things being created invented you can just you don't have to you can easily invent by taking two disconnecting things and put them together so create not just uh, a story that is just a great story like star wars but you could create a product with a story as well mm. okay that's yeah. that's one thing and then that increasingly prepares you for the world where if you go into uh, consultancy, you could advise a client to create a, a product. A product could be anything, could be a service product to, to an experienced product, right? Mm. And naturally in itself, it forms that, that story becomes its own advertising. Mm-hmm. Or you could create a story that becomes the advertising for a product that they already have, mm. right? But be open and be fluid, uh, to whatever happens uh, into the world and, and be open and fluid to um, new uh, uh, kind of technical in- inventions. Like we keep track less and less of what new ads are being done and more and more of what new technology and new inventions that are coming up the pipeline. Mm. Okay, I think, I think that would be... The, the future and I mean it's I, I'm I'm surprised that at the quality of writing and ideas from people outside they can come in with a portfolio of of Facebook posts or memes or 
whatever, and you look at them and you go like, they're actually in its traditional form, they were advertising. Mm. And they're well written. And they've understood the concept of how to write it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they've developed an empathy and understanding for uh, human beings, especially around certain age groups. So the ability to create the ads and the ideas are one thing, but the ability to understand human beings uh, is the next. It's very important. Mm-hmm. There's data that can back it up, but ultimately there's still the gut that would determine whether something will work or not. Mm. That's good advice for all of us, I think. Um, Calvin, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was pretty fascinating and I'd be keen to get you back on at some point. Sure. Excellent. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Today.